I think a big part of keeping someone with you is trying to emulate what you love most about them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I see people doing that same thing, like someone who prior to his passing would, you know, go pout in the corner, <laughs> you know, after a bad training session, um, they realize that like, you know, life is probably too short to do that type right, of stuff. It's too fragile. Yeah, exactly. What's up guys? It's Jacqueline Moran again on the Base Control Podcast. In this episode, Chris and I take a drive to Brooklyn, New York to talk with Sean Collins, the co-owner of Murder of Crows Barbell Club. So in this episode, we not only talk with Sean, but we also have his wife, Kaylee, readily available, and we talk to the both of them about the struggles of entrepreneurship, especially as a couple, Sean's love of powerlifting, as well as how Sean was able to help his community get through a very sad and tragic loss of not only a friend, but a member. We also ask Kaylee more about why Sean's referred to as the Grinch. So we hope you enjoy this episode and the lovely sounds of Brooklyn. And if you enjoy what you hear, please make sure to give us a five-star review on iTunes. Thanks. All right. So today we are in Brooklyn, New York at Murder of Crows Barbell. And we have Sean Collins along with his wife, Kaylee. Hello. So thank Hello. you, guys. It's <laughs> awesome to be here and check out your space. Um, we've been, Chris and I have been dying to come up here for quite some time, so. Welcome. Well, thank yeah, you for making the trip. You. All right, so we're just going to get started. Yeah. Um, Murder of Crows Barbell. Hmm. Sweet name. Thank you. Um, <laughs> why don't you give us a little bit of background as, you know, like how this started, um, you know, even like where the name came from and how this space came to be. Sure. Um, well, first and foremost, I guess I'll talk about the, the name of the gym just because that's the first question a lot of people ask, like, what's up with this gym? Um, so I started, or Kurt and I, Kurt's my business partner, and we had, we're, we were working at Crow Hill CrossFit and Crow Hill is called Crow Hill because Crown Heights used to be called Crow Hill back in the day. And so we wanted to kind of pay homage to like where we came from. So we decided to call ourselves Murder of Crows just because um, that's like the name for a group of crows. So um, a community of crows, a community of crows exactly. <laughs> um, and also like my business partner, Kurt, like he really felt super, super strongly that this is the name that we have to go for. I actually was pushing for something more generic, like Wolf Fitness or something yeah. like that. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I mean, he, he really, um, he was right on the money with it. Like it's a very like unique name and it's a name that a lot of people kind of like respond well to, especially in powerlifting and weightlifting. Yeah. Um, and so like, you know, that's, that's the name. And you know, we've had a little bit of like, um, a little bit of a problem with that name just because like some people are just like, what does that actually mean? Or like, why does it say murder in it? But you know, then you have to explain the whole thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, no, we started off the gym, um, by way of just, Pure luck, I think. Like, it was just more of a thing where this side that we're in right now is just, it was completely abandoned. And there was, like, a hole in the roof. And we had, like, this partition over here just to kind of separate ourselves because we only wanted to pay for, like, half the size, right? Ah. And so the landlord was just like, please take it after, like, two years of us operating, like, the CrossFit side over here. And at the time, uh, Kurt and I had built up quite, like, a following of, like, powerlifters and weightlifters running out of the CrossFit gym. So we had like uh, 30 and 30 on each side or something like that. 
you're like, you know, not many gyms can start off with like 60 seed members right off the bat. So we decided to make a venture out of it. And uh, we were actually studying for our uh, CSCS exam. And he was just like, oh, I have this opportunity for us. And at first I was just like, hey, if you and Dan, the owners over there, it's like, if you guys want to do that, go do it. It's cool. And then he's like, well, I was kind of thinking about you doing it with me. <laughs> so, so yeah, um, we moved into the space, um, started off with a couple of athletes um, that we were fortunate to have on day one. And um, yeah, the rest is history. And true to form with Sean, he's been very modest about the beginnings of the gym. Sean was in the corporate world uh, doing HR. Okay. All right. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. See? And he had, he had a passion. He found a passion in the sport. And um, this CrossFit gym actually started in a much smaller space right across the street from where we live. Okay. Yeah. And Sean built, uh, he, well, he said to them, I want to coach. I will clean. I will learn. I just want to be a part of this sport and he grew from it and I've never I've known him for 15 years now and I've never seen him feel so passionately about anything and he quit his job except for my wife and from there on out it was just I've you know he's he was very driven to build this community and actually had a lot of resistance in the beginning um, because powerlifting was not really a thing in this area. It was yeah. only a small part of CrossFit and he had the vision for it and he grew out that team and it started busting at the seams and then along with many good people in our life literally built this gym with his own hands. It's a huge compliment. I'll That's take it, I guess. I'm, I'm terrible at taking compliments. <laughs> I understand that. So, so what drew you, so from being in the corporate world, what drew you out of the corporate world to this world? I just wasn't happy. Like, yeah. I, I got into HR because my thinking was if people spend the most time of, in their lives at work and I could have an impact on that to make them, like, happier or better at their job, mm -hmm. then, you know, why, do, why not do it, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel, felt that HR was, like, the best way to do that. And uh, what it turned into was essentially just, hey, go fire that guy, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that, that's all HR was. It's either like go fire that person or, um, you know, protect the company and not necessarily protect the employees. Like mm -hmm. it was just like, hey, make sure that we're all legally above board. So, you know, I had a couple of internships through college and I was enjoying it because they show you nothing but like the beautiful aspects of the job. Yeah. <laughs> and then when you actually get the job, you're just like, okay, this sucks, yeah. you know, and um, you know, I just couldn't spend the rest of my life just like being in a box and just like, you know, doing things that I didn't want to do. So when I started um, powerlifting, I was just like, man, this is such an amazing aspect because like I did a lot of other sports like MMA, like CrossFit and like, you know, Soccer. some bodybuilding, even though I don't look like it. <laughs> and, you know, I was just like, yeah, this is cool. But like, I don't know where any of this is going. And then powerlifting gave me like a really good opportunity to really focus on, you know, dedicating myself to something. And it really had helped me out a lot because, you know, I was like this scrawny 135 pound kid who like decided to do a one or max true. in the gym. And then the powerlifting coach on staff at the time was just like, don't stop being an idiot and come powerlift with me. Yeah. Um, so I fell in love with it. And then like, you know, six months into powerlifting, I know this is, this sounds like a ridiculous thing to say, but like six months into powerlifting, I went up to him and I was just like, I want to coach powerlifting. And he was just, he literally said, you, you cannot this. coach powerlifting. Oh, wow. <laughs> he, said that. he literally was like, you cannot be a coach. Um, and, you know, 
looking back on it, I think we can all kind of agree that like if someone joins our gym for six months and they're just like, hey, like I want to do what you do. You're, of course, your yeah. reaction is going to be visceral and it's going to yeah. be like, my God, you can't do this. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, um, I, I finally found something in my life that I really enjoy doing and I felt like I could be helpful in other people's lives with bringing this to other people, you know. And, um, you know, I was working uh, part-time at, at Crow Hill CrossFit along with my full-time job at, um, at AOL. And, yes, it's still a thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and so... I was just, um, you know, coaching part-time, like co picking up any classes that I could. And then in the evening, I would like help um, my coach help other people with uh, powerlifting endeavors or whatever. And then um, a full-time job opened up on the CrossFit side and they were like, we want you to do it. So it I was, was able to... It was built for you. <laughs> you but, showed the hard work. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I, I, was, I, I facilitated the transfer from a smaller space to a bigger space, yeah. and um, I was the director of the on-ramp program, so, like, I was responsible for learning, for teaching people, like, the very basics of movement, and it really helped me out because it really helped, like, refine my coaching abilities um, in a relatively non-consequential uh, environment. Cool. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, so you went from, from someone who found powerlifting loved it and like basically athlete powerlifting athlete to now like you own a business you own a gym yeah um and you spend all of your time coaching powerlifting and being a business owner how has that affected your ability to be an athlete do you, oh, do you still yeah like yeah, <laughs> how does, how is, yeah. um it has it, it it got me to a point where i was actually thinking about stopping being an athlete um you know i did my i did a meet uh the usapl 2017 regionals and um, the prep just sucked. Uh, I wasn't happy with my performance. I, I, still, I still got third, but I was just like, man, I wanted yeah. to get that yeah. gold or whatever. Um, being in the coaching seat and also in the business seat is super, super tough to like, you know, prioritize your own training because, you know, you don't know if you're going to make the bills next month. Mm -hmm. And then you have to like put your own training to the side in order to focus on the happiness of everyone else, mm -hmm. along with the relationships with your business partners and stakeholders and um, and yeah, like my training took a huge hit yeah. and, uh, I'm just now getting back into falling in love with actually doing powerlifting rather than just coaching it and, you know, yeah. bringing it to other people. Yeah. Um, but no, it was certainly like a revelation in my mind where I was just like, you know, I did, I started this gym because I love powerlifting, but right. now that I am actually running this gym, right. powerlifting has taken a huge backseat mm -hmm. in my own personal life. And it really affected me in a, yeah. in a pretty negative way like I didn't feel like I was ever going to compete ever again mm -hmm. and um, you know my training was super intermittent and um, you know I finally found a support system that uh, that I have now in uh, Murder Crows to kind of help me like take care of the stuff that is a very time-consuming type of situation mm -hmm. and uh, helping me fall back in love with the training of things cool yeah so so that's how it affected you as an athlete how about as like a as like a husband like how has it affected? How has being a business owner like affected your relationship, if at all? Yeah, um, especially, especially since it's been fifteen years. You said since right. the two of you have known yeah. each other. Yeah. So I'm yeah. sure you've seen. I mean, Kaylee, you've probably seen him in so many different lights. Oh my goodness, yes. So how? I mean, I'd like to hear from both of you to be honest. Like, how has that changed over the past couple of years? Wow. So we um, both decided to open up businesses at the same yeah. time. Yeah. yeah which I think is just a lot of new variables at once that we, I mean, we are both driven by, we love doing this work so much 
um, and had just gotten married at the time and really had a conversation about our family values and, and being entrepreneurial and, and following your passion was a really big part of that. And so we, I mean, I feel like our relationship grew from being so values driven and being rooted in those ventures together. And at the same time, that's that's dreamy and beautiful. And, and then you have like 5 a.m. to 11 p.m. days and you're like, this is shitty. Yeah. And you come home and you need to make space for each other. You need to be present. And when you have a million problems to solve and a million people to care for, you have to remember to care for yourself and, and your partner. And, you know, we, we encourage each other to take days for ourselves because you need to create them. You could mm -hmm. keep working all day, every day. That's that's absolutely a possibility. But it's been really nice to, for me personally, um, to have a thought partner and someone that I trust and respect and who also knows where I'm coming from and, and to be able to bounce ideas off of and that knows what's good for me too, even when my mind is going crazy. So for me, like, yeah, there's a lot of crazy, stressful days, but it's, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, um, Kaylee was super supportive when I decided to go into this venture because so many people were just like, you can't make a gym off of just powerlifting. Right. <laughs> you know, like yeah. people, I had a lot of people just say that to me and <clears throat> you know, I would, um, come home to Kaylee and like in a pretty tired, fatigued, defeated type of attitude, <laughs> especially in the first couple of months, because I'm just like, you know, maybe this isn't going to work out or maybe this isn't going to be the best thing for me. And like, then you get reminded that like so many entrepreneurs like fail so often. <laughs> and then I'm just like, okay, this is kind of not a bad, this is a terrible reminder actually. But, um, <laughs> but I think, uh, it's super, super important to have a partner that protects you from, uh, from your own, from your own self. And I think that sometimes uh, I tend to be very, very hard on myself. Like I'm, I always say that I'm my biggest critic. And Kaylee did a great job at, you know, reigniting my confidence and like, you know, setting my head on straight. And uh, you know, the times that I would come home tired and um, and beat down, Kaylee was the one that you know helped me rise from that. Um, and on top of that, like she provided a lot of great motivation. Like she was, her business was making way more money at first. <laughs> that and and still makes way more money than my <laughs> business uh and so like you know it was a it was a shift because like you know i had to lean on her not only emotionally but also like financially as well mm -hmm. like i was just like you know there might be some things that i can't pay for and um she did a great job at like you know making sure that our lifestyles didn't change as much as i thought they were going to change and so that was extremely helpful in like you know maintaining the um not only the motivation to do it but just the courage to do it Mm -hmm. No, no. That's huge. That's awesome that you guys have such a great support system between the two of you. Like uh, everything that I do is, um, you know, I think we have this agreement where like everything that I do is for us and, you know, um, everything that she does is for us as well. So like, you know, it's the only way that, in my opinion, you can make a, you can make a relationship work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, if you're both entrepreneurs, it's a special kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> now, entrepreneurs are not are not normal people. Um, so going from there, like, wh where did that come from? Where did your like desire to be an entrepreneur come from? Like, do you have parents that were entrepreneurs, or do you have? Um, I uh, 
my parent, my, my, so I'm, I'm a, I come from a single parent uh, family and my mom made me get my working papers like as soon as I turned 13. <laughs> and uh, before I got my working papers, I was working like, maybe I shouldn't say this on podcast, but like <laughs> she was, you know, I was working like at a uh, jewelry shop, like when I was really young and like all my weekends were spent just selling jewelry to people instead of like and I think they kind of used me for as my like you know I wasn't a, I wasn't a very cute kid but I was a kid right and I was just like please buy this for my family and so you know I from an early age I remember being like man like why the hell am I doing this like all my friends are doing like play dates and like you know hanging out at the mall like as I got older and I'm just like, man, why am I here? Like, I hate it. I'm about to call, like, Child Protective Services on my own mom. <laughs> and, like, you know, and, you know, it wasn't until later on where I realized that, like, that work ethic was instilled in me really early on. And my family, you know, used the jewelry shop to put, you know, my uncles through college. They used it to pay for my, for the home I grew up in. And so, like, you know, I grew up around entrepreneurship and at first, I just didn't want to do it just simply because I didn't want to get involved in that whole aspect of life that my family kind of made me get to go through. Mm-hmm. And I just was just like, I'm done with it. I mean, that's the reason why I don't wear jewelry. It's because I just didn't want to even be reminded of that. That's yeah. true. I messed up and got him a watch for Christmas once. We'll never talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't even wear a wedding ring. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, you know, true. and I just like, I just hate wearing jewelry. And like, you know, the thought of an entrepreneurship type of lifestyle was just not for me. I'd rather just like have a nine to five and then use the rest of the time to do what I love. But like now I'm constantly surrounded by situations where I'm actively working and living in things that I love doing. Yeah. Um, so it's certainly worth it. But yeah. like I say that in retrospect now. <laughs> Kaylee, how about you? So my mother grew up in foster care and she started a penny jar for herself when she was 12 years old and told herself that she was gonna live by the water one day. And she, from a very early age, had a work ethic that just drove her to be where she is now. And yes, she lives in Florida by the water. Um, so while she never owned a business per se, she, she, was, she took control of her own life mm-hmm. and built a life that she had never seen before. And my father um, came over to the States from Peru when he was very young and uh, built a company. Um, he's an electrician. And he went to the army and he took that opportunity to grow his skill set of doing electrical work and from that grew his own business. So I I respect them both. I've I think now looking back at it, I can see just being around that yeah. inspired me. I think that's the common denominator a lot with other entre- entrepreneurs that we've met, including both Chris and Chris and myself. Um, it's it's different. Like when you're raised in that environment you are shaped differently Mm -hmm. you have a different outlook on how your life should be and Mm. i think that's huge um but i do think that's definitely the common thread between us weirdos (laughs) (laughs) yeah i hear that so since opening murder of crows what what has been like one of your biggest challenges um I think the biggest challenge that I had to go through was um, the loss of one of our members, okay. uh, Angus. Um, he was one of my closest friends and um, my training partner and someone that like pushed me through a lot of workouts that during the time that I was struggling, even with the idea of being an athlete and a coach yeah. and a business owner, yeah. um, he was someone who was always there for me and you know, was certainly like a lighthearted person and that everyone just loved being around, uh, especially myself. <laughs> Um, you know, he passed suddenly, uh, 
from a motorcycle accident and um you know it's and you know I, I touched upon this before but like i think like you know it's tough it, it's always easy being like a leader of a team and leader of a community when things are going well for you yeah. like you know at, at that point like the the gym was going well like the the brand name was starting to catch fire uh people were buying into the idea of like having a gym where like you come to and you work hard and you get coached by someone powerlifting and so like you know people were hitting prs and you know doing really well and then suddenly out of the blue like on a friday afternoon i get the news that he suddenly passed and um you know it was it was super difficult for me because <clears throat> You know, he was someone that I was so close to and someone that was so young. Like, he was only, I mean, he was my age, you know, right. and like, you, um, you know. How old are you? Sorry. I, I'm 30. Okay. So, he All was right. actually yeah. younger, than, younger than me. Yeah, he was. Um, so, um, so, you know, like, I remember having to go up, uh, having to actually reach out to you guys yeah. and letting you know that, like, this had happened and that I wasn't going to see you over yeah. the weekend because I was on my way up to a seminar. And so, like, you know, being there for the team on that Friday night, like we went to, uh, to a bar right next door to the gym and then, um, came right back here with like a small group of people that were really close to him. And, you know, I've never been in a situation where so many people have lost a common denominator, mm -hmm. you know, and I felt that people were like, they wanted to be led out of it. And, and I, and I, just have never been in that position before yeah you were the, you're the leader right like i've yeah. never and you're I, also like, going through it on your, on your own yeah, yeah, yeah i'm going through right. it myself yeah and like you know it's um it was it was super tough because you know i i very rarely have ever been in leadership positions in my life ever um i was like you know in in school i was you know the the farthest from being a leader i was actually bullied in school and like you know i i just never was in a position where i had to like be in charge of a mass group of people and so dealing with everyone's emotions and being there for people and trying to help myself and also uh be there for kaylee and kaylee being there for me because kaylee was also very close to angus as well um you know having to go through the process of um grieving myself and then being there for others who were feeling the same way and making sure that I was checking in on people, making sure that, you know, that, you know, people had rides to his funeral and that like I was, um, I was going to do him, do his eulogy service, you know, and um, having to do that and having to um, be in front of his family, be in front of all of his friends and all the people that knew him and to speak on him, um, was extremely difficult and <clears throat> was something that I think a lot of people uh, appreciated because I essentially went up there and tried to do, do my best with him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that some people just uh, didn't know how to, how to be. And the biggest message that I told people was just like, you know, there's no game plan for this. Like nobody can tell you how to grieve. Nobody can tell you how to be. But all I can tell you is that, you know, we're going to get through it and we're going to do everything we can to honor his name. And, 
and then never forget him. You know, yeah. I mean, his name is still on the board, and it's never going away, no matter how many people hit PRs in the background. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that, that's great. Um, I guess, like, my question for you, as, like, I had, I had mentioned it earlier, is, you know, like, anyone who owns, like, a small gym, the community is is – God, if you're over th- if you're over 200, you're doing pretty well for yourself. But everyone knows each other. Yeah. Um, like if this was to happen at like another gym or like what what piece of advice would you give someone like uh, like someone in your shoes? Like what yeah. what would you what would you tell yourself basically? I guess if you could go back, like how like would you change anything or would you give someone else advice on like how to deal with a situation like that? Um, try to realize that you're bigger than yourself right like what what I told myself was that I represent a team and I represent a culture of people who are there for each other and there who for people who care about each other on a on a very basic level right like if you have a PR if you're going to a meet or something like that like you can expect several murder of crows athletes that are not even competing that just like spectate and cheer you on and and I think that like you know with a culture like that and a community like that you kind of have to check your own feelings and your own, um, you know, grieving to the side and try to be there for everyone and manage the best you possibly can and try to be the, the base for them. You know, um, obviously I did a lot of my grieving at home, but when I was in the gym, I tried to be the strongest person I possibly could for people to talk to and for people to, um, look to for answers and to look to for just, you know, basic just hey i'm here for you you know and um so if another and i I hope that this ever happens to any other gym owner or any other community but i do think that if it if it does happen it's best to just be there for that community and to try your best to be a um a lighthouse for people in that in those rough waters um i think that at the end of the day people will appreciate that a lot more than you know trying to uh shut down or clam up you know Mm -hmm. and be more uh be more open about how you're feeling you know um as non-machismo as that might be (laughs) you know like being more open about how you feel and being more open about you know the confusion that you have is is a great way to relate to people who are going through the same thing and you know in some cases even worse you know hmm did you see, I mean, how, how did the rest of your community here, I mean, I can only imagine that that could only bring you guys even closer together. Yeah. And what's interesting, how has it been, um, have you experienced anything like with new members coming in? Has, how has that dynamic been? Because, you know, previous members, like prior to this happening, do they feel like they're more connected or have you like how have you been able to handle kind of integrating people since that is such a big you know that's a that's a pretty catastrophic thing to happen yeah um for a business and personally obviously with your your friendships your athletes everything right um we actually tend to talk about angus in a um a very uh fond memory right like we don't we don't bring up his passing, but we do talk about, um, you know, if Angus was here, like he'd be the first person yeah. to That's like, you stupid know, shit he would do. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, he was always known as someone who was like really silly, but like super, super nice. Like he would always, he would fail a lift and um, most of us would be like super angry and yeah. super animated about it. But like, 
one thing about Angus is that he would fail a lift and then just like shake his head and then just like go back to being himself, yeah. you know? And I think that like, you know, the best way to preserve his memory amongst the new people in the community is to talk about what made us love him, exactly. you know, and just to talk about why uh, he was such an important aspect of the community and why he was so loved by all of us. And in certain cases, it's a learning opportunity for other people. Like mm -hmm. when someone fails a lift and then goes and pouts in the corner, right. you, you know, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't hesitate to just say like, hey, listen, like there was someone in the gym that would, that was training for his first nationals um, and he, he would fail a lift and just wouldn't care and then would be there for the person who like, needed oh, a, spot. Need a spot. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Exactly. And so like, you know, I think using his memory as a positive and also using it as a teaching moment is I think what he would have wanted. And um, we, you know, I don't, ha I don't ever really go into the details of like, you know, how he passed or like, you know, what he, what my relationship was with him. But I just always want to have people remember him as someone who was important to the community, was super important to the team, the powerlifting team especially, and someone who everyone could learn something from. And what yeah. you love about that person embody every day. Yeah. And if you do that, it's a, it just organically happens that people feel that love and that happiness that you're emitting and you want to do right. Yeah. by the person who you lost. And I think that it's not just myself. Like there are a lot of people that were close to him that uh, I think you see like a small shift in their change of behavior uh, in the sense that like, you know, I think a big part of keeping someone with you is trying to emulate what you love most about them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I see people doing that same thing. Like someone who prior to his passing would, you know, go pout in the corner, you know, after a bad training session, um, they realize that like, you know, life is probably too short to do that type right, of stuff. It's too fragile. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I think the biggest lesson that we all learned was just to, like, you know, anything could happen. And right. so like, it's, it, it's best to just, and I said this during his eulogy, I think the number one thing that I learned from Angus and another more thing that we can learn from him is that, you know, you have to spend the most amount of time doing what you love with the people that you love mm -hmm. and anything right. that is outside of that is not worth it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I wish I could remember that all the time. Yeah. yeah. Even, even now I get, right. I, I get yeah. bogged down into the minuscule things yeah. that get me pissed off. But like, you know, when I think about that one moment where I'm just like, you know what, like uh, we're very fortunate people. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, right. you know, we are doing exactly what we want to do and not many people get that opportunity to do so, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's clear that you have an amazing community here. Um, what what do you think has like cultivated that? Like wh where does that come from? Because that's not because I've been to other gyms and I've heard stories about other gyms and that's just not a thing. Yeah, like there's that's that's it's rare for gyms to have like these really great cultures where people like honestly care about each other. Yeah, um, I think I. Uh, a very large part of it at first is just investing heavily into um, being mindful to each other. I think like having the etiquette to um, not walk in front of someone when they're, ha when they're having something heavy or, you know, like cleaning up after yourself and like, you know, thanking people, like just basic human behavior that like I think a lot of gyms don't reinforce. Mm -hmm. um, we, 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 we did that pretty, pretty quickly and, 
you know, we were working out together for a good uh, year before Murder Crows even opened. So that's kind of my cheat code right there, where like there were people who, you know, from CrossFit just kind of one by one kind of stole them into doing powerlifting. And then over time, they kind of got to know each other and formed like very deep like relationships because they were spending three hours with each other, exactly. <laughs> you know? And so when I brought them over here, um, the immediate thing was that when someone joined up, you can kind of like sense that like they were one person joined a group of people that like would make it a point to shake their hand, to exactly. talk to them. Exactly. And, um, and I think that it's, it, it, I like to take, I, I would personally love to take credit for it, but I think a very large part of it is just that if you get really good people in and then you show it, show them how to be a better version of themselves, mm -hmm. they will then pass it along to pay it forward. That's right. Um, if you show them like, you know, Hey, like, it's not just powerlifting. Like, you know, powerlifting is something represent to me it represents something greater than just lifting weights. It's Absolutely. like it teaches you a lot of life lessons. And I think that when people can experience those hardships in powerlifting together, it creates this bond that is hard to describe, but it's very palpable. Yes. And I think that when people are in this room and when like you hear people cheering for each other that they don't even know their names or whatever mm -hmm. and you know like um because every single person can relate to the experience and even if you don't have the same background even if you don't have the same um you know even if there's polarizing things like we have like you know like for example like different religion, religions different political views mm -hmm. right but like everyone is united by just the pursuit of getting stronger. Yeah. And I think that that is something that a lot of people, a lot of communities or a lot of gyms don't have. Like they don't have that like, hey, like I'm, I want to be here to be ripped. <laughs> I want to be right. here to like, you know, to lose weight or whatever the case is. But like everyone on my team wants to be better, right? And I think that that's super, super important in, you know, making sure that people, um, you know, are there for each other. That's good. That's great. I, I also think that has something to do with how the show got started and how you personally. Right. I mean. I mean. Again, like, you. You I, are the leader. Yeah. I, and Kaylee and, keeps trying to, you know, give me more credit I than I deserve. You, you, you are incredibly modest, but I, Sean, literally built the relationships behind this gym one by one, and especially the first few. We had our our now coach Nikhil. He's an amazing human being. And Kaylee Sean, loves to tell story. I love this story because it really <laughs> speaks to who our, our gym is and who our people are, where Sean had, had seen him at a few meets and was like, this is a good dude. Like, this is someone who, who loves the sport, mm -hmm. who's, who's incredibly supportive of people who he knows and doesn't know. And so Nikhil had a meet out in like Long Island or something like that. It was that. Uh, New Jersey. In New Jersey. In so New Jersey Sean States. had no athletes at that meet, but went out and barely knew Nikhil. And, Sean does not like to travel outside of Brooklyn, and <laughs> he like took his ass that. over to New Jersey <laughs> and and went to go see Nikhil compete. Yeah. And it was from there there on out, like you you guys formed a very genuine relationship, and mm -hmm. there's it's only created exponential mutual respect that you can't fake. Yeah, that only comes with paying it forward. Yeah, I mean, like minor things, like like you know, one of my biggest pet peeves is when you have an athlete going to a meet and then like you show up at like 9 a.m., like right when their flight starts, right? Like most powerlifting coaches would like, would, would, would be more than content doing that. But like, I just personally think that like, you know, your job starts at 6 a.m. when the athlete's weighing in, you know what I mean? Absolutely. That's right. Yeah. You know? That's an important time right there. Yeah. But right. you'd be surprised, like, you know, 
I, I, every couple of months I'm at a powerlifting meet and I'm one of the only coaches there at like 6 a.m. And like every, every other coach rolling in at like 9.30, 10 a.m., you know. And, you know, it's just those basic things that like, you know, hey, I will go to very great lengths to help you out. Um, I think that definitely does trickle down. You know, it's probably the only yes. trickle down that works. You know, like <laughs> it's just like it's one of those things that like, you know, the if you are willing to just kind of go that extra mile for your athlete, then that athlete is then going to go the extra mile for 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 the person that, you know, is on their team. And um, what's up? Well, that's why half of the team ended up flying out to nationals last year. They yeah, like, competing, oh, that's crazy. but we all just rented a house together because everyone needed to be there for each other. Oh, that's yeah. definitely true. That's incredible. Down. How, how many lifters did you have at nationals? Um, so I had, um, I had seven or so, right? Seven. I think it was seven or nine. Seven or I think it was nine. Actually. It was nine. <laughs> it, was it was nine. nine. <laughs> yeah. Um, no disrespect to the two people, that, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but no, I had, I had nine people and, um, you know, it was a very emotional, uh, week for me because like, it was the first time I was coaching at nationals as a coach because beforehand, like 20, 2016, I was just some dude who was just like, Hey, like Alex, Alex is one of my best athletes. And I was just like, I would handle you <laughs> and like, I'll compete myself. And <laughs> right. like, I would just be like around or whatever. And then this, this 2017 was like a year where like, I actually had like nine people who qualified and like, we're competing. And like, you know, this is the first time Murder of Crows is making a national appearance. Um, and it was emotional for me because it was the first time that, you know, that was happening for me. And um, also it was the, uh, it was the meet that Angus was, was, was preparing for for so long. Like the dude was just like, he was in Calgary in like the state park and he found a gym out Somewhere. there to like train. Yeah. He like had, he like left the state park. He drove like two hours to train and then came right back and stuff like that. So his he was working. His family knew. Yeah. His family like, like yeah, <laughs> made fun of him while doing that. And so like, you know, especially on the, on the day where I was like coaching the 74s, it was like, it was a very emotional, like, you know, day and week for us. But like, it was super, super, um, um, not quelled, but like it was balanced by like, you know, the three to four people that came out that weren't even competing that just were there just for the experience of like, you know, being there for everyone and like, you know, being super crucial and like getting food and snacks for like myself Seriously. and athletes. Yeah. You need headphones and we go and buy a pair. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you know, but people literally using their work vacation hours yeah. to like come out and just like hang out at nationals, which was something that like, I don't think I do enough to like thank them for, you know? Um, but you know, going back to me not taking much credit for it, I think it's a lot of the actions of people who, um, sure. see an act of kindness and want to pay it forward. Mm -hmm. And that's what we depend on, you know, um, as much as I can sit here and say like, everyone must act like this, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. it, it doesn't work. It yeah, doesn't work. Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't work. So, so I mean, you you mentioned like a trickle, like you trickle it down to your members where, where did, I don't know if I'm phrasing this right. Where did it trickle down for you, for both wow. of you? Um, huh. I mean, I, I touched upon this a little bit. I just, I think that like, I think that powerlifting as a profession, it has a lot of problems. You know what I mean? Like, I think that like, you know, some coaches are coaches because, you know, they want to make money off of it, but don't necessarily have their heart in it. You know what I mean? Um, or some people just like, you know, are naturally strong themselves and then like, you know, get it 
put on their Instagram yeah. like, hey, I'm a coach now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, free programming yeah. until like until it's like two hundred dollars a month or yeah. whatever, right? And then, you know, I think that there was like a lot of issues with that because, you know, you have these you go to these meets and it's literally the most supportive environment yeah. you could ever be in. Like people are sharing food, they're sharing their chalk, their equipment. Like I see, I see, you see people like taking their socks off to give it to someone else because if they didn't have long socks, they yeah. would get yeah. squat ever from me. And like, that's done without question. And you, I've never seen that ever before. And some, and a lot of times I, I see that community of people who are earnestly wanting to work really hard to, you know, put themselves through a competition and put themselves out there and to like be there for each other. And then the worst part about these meets are the coaches, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like they're just like, you know, like not doing anything or like berating their athletes or something like that. Like, you know, like when you think about like a general, like powerlifting coach, you think about someone who's gruff and like someone who like, you know, is hard on their athletes. Right. Mm -hmm. And I personally feel like powerlifting is such a, um, multifaceted teacher that in order for you to do it effectively, you have to be able to be empathetic to your athletes and be someone who is willing to do what other athletes are willing to do for each other, you know? Yeah. And, um, and that was my biggest angle. Like I just wanted to make sure that like people would come into this gym and have an environment where they would expect it at a, at a meet where other people would give their shirt off their back and that like coaches would do everything they possibly could to make that athlete better and not only that but like understand their athletes like you know if some if an athlete's not responding well to a one approach that's not the athlete's fault that's the coach's fault you know and like i think that like you know being able to understand someone and showing that you understand someone is something that means a lot to people you know and when you do it in a positive situation and you and you show them like hey listen like i'm willing to do whatever it takes to get you better they're then going to turn around and like do a small act of kindness to their to the person next to them um but no i mean like i I think like you know when i saw that environment i was just like i want more of that but i just think that in, in coaching there's there's a way you can approach it on a individual human level rather than you know be a Bobby Knight. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bobby, I love that. And for me, Barbell Sports was the first community that I ever became a part of when I moved to New York from DC. And it was through that community and through what I learned about myself on the platform that I, I truly attribute powerlifting and the team around me to why I had the courage to start my own business. I really believe that I learned so much about myself and I've heard so many of, of my people say the same thing, that I was like, this just needs to exist more in the yeah. world. Like, yeah. you owe it to yourself to learn what your body is capable of, yeah. what mentally you're, you're able to put yourself through and, and the accomplishments that you're able to surprise yourself with. And so to me, if, if there's anything that I want to see more of in the world, it's that. Yeah, I totally agree. You have to think about how much hard work, like some people, sure, like you can just be a freak of nature and be super strong and not have to put in all this really hard work, sweat, tears, blood, whatever. Um, But knowing that you can actually do it and then like the progress that you get and how it makes you feel and you're exactly right, it carries into so many other parts of your life. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Cool. I want to touch on, so, uh, (laughs) Kaylee's called you the Grinch a couple (laughs) times. 
<laughs> what an excellent pickup. Is that gonna mess you up or no? Sorry. <laughs> Is it gonna mess you up more than I just messed you up? No, it's fine. All right, cool. Can I get turned off? No, it's fine. Just make sure you talk more to the mic. It's not on that long anyway. Right. I did it again. Good. See? The interruption stays. There's a lot of sounds in Brooklyn. They're everywhere. You can tell we're like not in like a little place. Yeah, sorry. And you think it's quiet in Brooklyn, it's not. Yeah, Kaylee's referred to as the Grinch a couple times, yeah. which I think is funny because I actually do the exact same thing. Stop Chris. it. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. The Grouch. I think I call him the Grouch. <laughs> the Grump. I love that. It makes you sound like an old man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So where does that come from? And how oh are you? Oh, my goodness. How are you? Because we had talked about this earlier. Like, you're kind of, like, at the front line. So if somebody wants something interpreted... <laughs> about how Sean, like, what does Sean really mean by that? How do you handle that? And Sean, what, I want to know what you think about that. Yeah. Like that's just an interesting dynamic to me that oh, we also man. deal with. So. <laughs> oh, man. I, <laughs> Sean is the Grinch because he, um, his heart has grows, like, has grown three times over the time that I've known him. He um, can be very stoic. And by can, I mean he is. Um, by nature. Um, it has always surprised me and it's such a big source of respect that I have for Sean that he is inherently an introverted person and yet he spends 100% of his day on for the people that he cares about and I he's the Grinch because he'll come home and he'll just be like <laughs> on the couch he'll be, he'll be done but nothing needs to be said you know what I mean like just means that we're working hard, you know, like we love what we do and he is such a smush at home. So I know, I, I, I have things that I pick up on that I know. So if he's at the gym and he's setting up for like a big lift and he just needs to be in his own head for a few minutes, I can interpret to someone to say like, it's not you, seriously. They're like, you know, is, is Sean okay? Like, he's totally fine. He's just doing exactly what he needs to do right now, you know? <laughs> We were talking at lunch earlier, like, everyone's like, is Chris mad? Like, right. did I do something? Yeah, generally no. not mad. Generally not mad. I mean, maybe you might be, but you'll definitely know if you want to, to know if he's mad. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. what I respect about Sean is that, and, and what I think our athletes know now and what a lot of people are learning about Sean is that if there is an opportunity to have a conversation that needs to be had, Sean will act on that and it'll be done in a way I've seen it and and I respect it in in a way that is best for that person and mm -hmm. for the gym and mm -hmm. it's never out of spite so it's it's not that you know Sean doesn't have emotions it's just that like he will think on it and act in it in a very deliberate way so you're rational basically yeah I will be the one to admit your emotions for you yeah I mean <laughs> Emotions have never really been like a strong point for me. Like I, I, I like, I like laughing, but that's about it. <laughs> you, know, you know, like I'll, I'll enjoy a good laugh, but like, you know, I'm not going to be the most expressive person. Um, and yeah, I think like, like Haley said, like I'm, I'm a very stoic person. I'm in my head like all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm thinking about a million different things and I'm feeling a million different things, but my face is just like, like a vegetable, right? Like, yeah. you know, I'm just like, you know, I'm just, I just can't see it. I just can't, you can't, you can't There's like, a war going anything. on inside. Right, yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. So, um, were you always like that? 
or did that start when when murder murder of crows opened um so i i was so funny enough when i was a when i was a kid like you know my 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 teachers would always tell my mom that like i would be like a social butterfly and i would like talk to everybody and stuff like that but i think i like um i realized that like i would get really tired of doing that like really quickly and i didn't really know until like college that after i took like a myers-briggs test you're, like, in, you're an introvert yeah <laughs> like i'm like an infj or whatever that means and like so i i learned very early on that i had to embrace I had to embrace it rather than right. fight it because all throughout my high school years, I was just like, maybe I should go out and maybe I should like, you know, do all these things that everyone else is doing. But a very large part of me wants to just stay home. Right. <laughs> you know? And that's, that's totally fine. I think a lot of people think that, like I said, I think I said earlier is like, like a lot of people think introverts are like antisocial, like, yeah. like misanthropic people and we just hate the world. But I, but really what an introvert is like, we, we get our energy from people just like extroverts. It's just that like we, I guess I'll use the word, we get fatigued quicker. Yeah, no, for sure. We I get, get fatigued Because that's the best way to put it. That's certainly the best way to put it. Yeah. Like, you just, yeah, you tired it. from yeah. it, yeah. Like, you know, after like five hours of coaching, like I want to just go home. Yeah, I just want to just right. get out of there, right. you know? And like, I think that like, you can start to see that right at 9.55, where like I'm just at the finish line and then like people are wrapping up and then like, you know, there's a clear switch. Like as soon as 10 o'clock happens, <laughs> I'm just like, everyone has to leave right now, <laughs> you know? Because like I've literally given everything I possibly could and like when people try to you know engage in dialogue afterwards I'm just like I had a set couple of hours that I needed to be on yeah. and now that I'm off like you're on my time now <laughs> right. Right. Um, but yeah I mean like you know it's it, it's sometimes tough like being a coach when you're like you know when you're to yourself and when you can't really, you know, be that coach that you see at meets that are just like rah rah and yeah. like you know super like amped up and stuff like that but I think that also has to do with like the self-selection process that my athletes have. Like my athletes are usually more calm, more like chill. And I think that that also like kind of prevents a lot of the machismo culture that a lot of gyms have, right? Like, you know, you choose your coach primarily because hopefully, hopefully because they know a thing or two, but I think a very large part of staying with your coach is what, if you agree with them or not, right? Not, I mean, in terms of like views, but it's in terms of like, are they agreeable with your personality? And I think that I'm fortunate enough to have a, a group of people here who appreciate that level of just like calmness and you know stoicism because i don't know how to be anything else mm-hmm. and i think the biggest thing that the best piece of advice that i've ever gotten um was you can't work on your weaknesses because you're just going to be an average person and like you know you have to identify what you are great at and right. who you actually are and then try to hammer at that and then try to get that to be a career and i think that like you know with me it's just you know, being introverted, I see as a huge strength. And I think being open about it is something that a lot of people have benefited from, (laughs) you know, and, um, and yeah, like it's been, I've never had to be more open about being introverted ever since, uh, opening up this gym. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I had to literally tell people like, Hey, this is how I operate. This is who I am. You know, like I don't like receiving text messages in the middle of the day about your training, (laughs) not because like it annoys me, but just because like when I'm at home, I'm literally like trying to relax and kind of compartmentalize things for Mm -hmm. myself. And then when I get a text message saying like, do you want me to hit this squad at eight or 8.5? And I'm just like, (laughs) I want to lose it. You know what I mean? Again, not because I'm annoyed, but just simply because, 
you know, in order for me to do my job effectively, I have to have time away from that job or time away from that athlete to think about things, you know, and, um, and I'm just very happy that a lot of my athletes understand that, you know, or at least hopefully do. (laughs) It's tough because these, these are our friends, these people that you genuinely care about. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And, and it's one, one things that, um, has worked really well is that Sean has been very upfront with like, I may be available on Friday, but I'm actually not, you know, like that. It, we always joke about how I am like the gatekeeper or I'm like the defensive lineman being like, okay, right. like we're going to protect our, <laughs> our time together because it, if you burn out, then you can't care for others. Right. Yeah. You need to also care for yourself. And I think that's something that we also encourage yeah. to people who we care about. So it, it, it goes both ways. It's, it's like that airplane thing where like, you know, you like, please don't like try to help someone else with their mask mm-hmm. while you're like choking. Yeah. You know what I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. like you got to help yourself out because you know, the business runs um, off of the vitality that you can provide. And right. I think that like, you know, once you start to lose that and once you start burning out, that's when like people start to kind of sense that, you know, and um, to start jumping ship yeah. off of like, you know, random reasons. Yeah. yeah which well, we see all the time. Yeah. Mm. Not at our gym. <laughs> <laughs> never at, no. never at our gym. No. no. So what do you guys, you know, what do you do in your free time to kind of like recharge hmm. and make yourself kind of took, come back to like base? Took that right <laughs> out of my mouth. Really? <laughs> Good job. Um, I mean, we, uh, we, we do a lot of binge watching. You know, a lot, a lot of binging, yes, a lot of binging. Cuddling with um, a cat. Yeah, That's we have a huge, a huge cat at home. His yeah. name is Dimitri. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's huge. Yeah. I see his photos on it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, well, he has lost weight, which has disappointed me a little bit. Oh. You know, Sean's like, I think, on a permanent bulk. Yeah, I think Kaylee is, like, feeding him a little bit less now. But <laughs> I try to give him some tuna and salmon on the side. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, like, you know, when we get home, um, you know, I think like it's important for us to like also like have a conversation and stuff like that, but like just communicate about how our day went and stuff like that. Just because like, just like in the gym, like you have to, you know, show your significant other that you care about their them as well, and it's not just like you that's struggling through the day or whatever. Um, but for the most part, you know, we go home, spend about thirty minutes trying to decide what to watch. <laughs> Because we watched everything already. Yeah. Does this sound familiar? You know? Yeah. yeah. Like and identical. So it's like, you know, and then sometimes we'll end up like throwing something random on YouTube while we just like, you Listicles know. are like the new thing. Yeah. Like top 10s type of whatever. Yeah, you'll never run out of content if you look at like the top 10 stuff. Like That's what I've been doing. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, what the fuck are you watching? I fall asleep immediately when that goes on. Yeah. It's so varied. I, I love it. You know, but, um, but no, I mean, like, I think it's important to veg out. I mean, uh... Like Kaylee alluded to, I'm I'm a little bit of a smush at home, so I just like to you know cuddle next to Kaylee and uh, just edit that out when you get a chance. <laughs> um, you know, and just no like needs to know. yeah, and just you know, just hang out with her, you know, and um, you know she's my favorite person in this whole world. So you know, it's sometimes you just don't have to say anything, and you just have to just be with that person. So yeah, that's great. Uh, what have you been watched? What's been your favorite lately? Okay. Oh, man. So, Billions is the oh, shit. Yeah, Billions yeah. is great. The shit. Yeah. So good. Um, we were actually talking about that show once, and then um, Damien Lewis rode away on a bike in front of our Uber. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, crazy. We were literally ride. talking about Damien Lewis. and it's, He's the main guy, right? He's, yeah, he's yeah, like a yeah, redheaded dude. Like, yeah. In Homeland, like, too. And yeah. then he was just like, whoop, we're in Williamsburg. Huh. Yeah. And, really? he, and he was on a city bike, and he just like literally <laughs> just rode past us. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but um, no, Billions is great. I think Showtime in general is just yeah. like Showtime excellent. Is really it's really excellent. Yeah. Um, but actually, when we first started dating, we binge watched Lost. Oh my goodness! And um, he watched it. The uh, yeah, time. and so I, I had watched watch all of it first, so that's what true love really is. is I'm watching <laughs> real, a whole another season of things. I feel like everyone. I feel like that's everyone's first like binge watch show. Lost. Lost. Yeah, 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 seriously. 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 Well, you got to because you got to know the end. Oh, you got to see it. Oh. You got you got to, but you don't know how to. Yeah. So what? Uh, I mean, I guess we could start to wrap this up a little bit, but what? I like to ask this to everybody because everyone's answer has been pretty different so far. Like, if I came to you and I said, Sean, like, I want to open up a gym, like, what would – it's a generic question, but the answer is often oh, not man, generic. Yeah. It's, it's like, a very what, complicated what would, answer. Yeah, what, what, would you, what would you say? What would your answer be? Um, hmm. If someone came up to me and said that they wanted to open up a gym, uh, from a – for my knee-jerk reaction, the first thing I, I would say is um, you should really, really, number one, know your stuff, right? And number two, package it in such a way where it doesn't have to be salesy. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, basically, I just want it to be marketable. You know what I mean? Like, do something that not a lot of other gyms do, Um and try your best to invest in the person and not the uh, mm. and not the dollar sign, yeah. right? Because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. that that's something that's super important to me uh, when you when when I like look at other gyms and I look at other coaches. Like I think I have never really seen a coach or a gym owner that has went the extra mile for that athlete and to really show them like what they could possibly do with them with with them whether it be through like boot camp or whether it be through like you know bodybuilding whatever what have, what have you it doesn't have to be powerlifting but i think that you know you better be genuine and you better be ready to uh work with people on an individual level and able to um get to the root of what makes them tick mm-hmm. you know like you're never going to make a lot of money if everyone's doing the same thing. Right. Um, and you're also never going to make a lot of money if you don't care about people. Um, I mean, you might at first, right? right. Like you might have for like, you might turn and burn like crazy, but people are going to catch on. Um, and I think that like, you know, um, when I have been asked that question before from people who were people that I, greatly respect i think a big part of it is just on a financial perspective um don't spend all your money on the most most uh sexiest equipment you possibly can get <laughs> you know like yeah. i just have to put this put this out there it's just like one of those things that like you see at gyms all the time that like you know for example like a powerlifting gym they want to have all ego barbells and yeah. you know stuff like that i'm just like how are you going to pay your next right. month they like a grand a piece right exactly yeah and i'm just like you know like you know only the most uh you know it it might also ruin your culture too like you know if you have all alico stuff you know you're going to get only the most elitist type of people that you possibly can get um you know so invest early on in your culture invest early on in the athlete that you want and then more athletes will come um i think what's been really helpful with murderer crow specifically is that we didn't do well with advertising to other people mm-hmm. um we we couldn't necessarily make it work when we were like hey like 
come in and try powerlifting. <laughs> you know, what right. I mean? like <laughs> put this bar in your back yeah. and squat. Yeah. Um, and so what we what we found out pretty quickly is that you know it's not a gym where we can sell people on it it's a field of dreams if you build a big gym and fill it with powerlifting equipment and powerlifters uh that are nice to each other and that and can spread the sport then people are going to find us and i think that that is the biggest shift that me and my business partner have realized is that like you know we you build a you build a gym with great coaches with great people and people are going to make it a point to come to you mm -hmm. rather than man i'll try that like next weekend or something right. like that um so yeah you build it people will come and you know i think that this is representative of like you know what the sport can be uh nationwide you know but i just think that like people coming in here um knowing that they're going to come in here with like good service, knowledgeable coaches, and great people, um, there's not much more you can ask for yeah. in the gym. You know? do, do you ever get people that come in here and they're like, I just want to like, you know, lose fat and put on yeah. muscle or whatever it is, like, yeah. like a body composition goal, and then you turn them into like this. Oh, 100%. Like, yeah, like, 100%. Oh, fuck, I actually totally love lifting yeah. weights. Yeah, yeah that oh happens pretty often. It's so like, um, you know, when someone comes in and says like, you know, I want to come in here uh, because it's close to my place and I just want to do my yeah. own thing. Yeah. The clock's ticking like yeah. two months and you're out <laughs> yeah. of here you know what i mean but like if you're coming up to me being like hey like what is everyone else doing like how how can they do that like yeah. that, is, <laughs> that if you ask me that question i know that you know you are someone that i can work Your with hopes. and someone yeah. that yeah. like i can get into and stuff like that so when they um when they start saying like oh maybe i should try like deadlifting or something like that then i'm just like all right like let's let's load up like 135 on there and then they're like i can't lift that i'm like you just did, yeah. <laughs> you know, and like, yeah, no, I get a million, I, uh, not a million, but like, yeah, I get so many people that come in specifically for like, I want to get toned. Right. And yeah. then, you know, are doing their first competition in six months. Yeah. You know? yep. um, I, I will say that one of the things that I am most proud of in the sport and here included, but on a very personal level, I know a lot of people who have walked into this gym and myself included saying, I want to lose weight. Mm-hmm. And then within two or three months, we're having conversations about how, how confident we feel with muscle, how confident we feel about getting strong, and how our goals are not about aesthetics. Right. It's, about, it's about strength. Right, they're performance-based. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, right. exactly. And so I think that, that perspective shift is very unique to yeah. this sport and to strength sports in general. Yeah. I think it's, it's very it's important. An incredible yeah. thing yeah. Mm -hmm. for men and women just in challenging like what what norms look like. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we one thing I'm most proud of about this gym is that we throw our clout, if you will, behind like social causes, you right? Have like to. we yep. uh, I think that like as as gyms as inherent community centers, you have to uh, be a leader in what is right and what is wrong, mm -hmm. right? And That's I right. think that uh, I'm very, very proud of Murder of Crows being behind, um, you know, like Pull for Pride, which is like a Women's Strength Coalition event, where we are putting our name literally right behind that event and by definition supporting that cause. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we try to do a lot of like pro bono events for like yep. specific uh, areas of people that are marginalized in powerlifting, especially like completely grassroots too. Yeah, people who, like, who like this sport means so much to me that I'm, I want 
five of my friends actually to come together and let's just like have yeah. a safe space to explore this together. You know, like, I mean, I'm sure you guys hear it all the time. We're like, you know, a woman joins a uh, global gym and then, she, you know, she's like stuck in like the cardio area mm -hmm. and like can't ever like feel comfortable enough to actually go into the strength training area. And like here, you know, we have about a 50-50 split with like men and women. And mm -hmm. like, you know, that is men and women doing the same exact thing. Exactly. And I think that that is exactly. like super important yes. in most gym settings where it's just not the case. Uh, yeah. you know? And like, you know, going back to the advice thing, it's just yeah. more of like a thing where like, don't like, you know, you, you cannot just pander to what you think is like what you want to see, right? right. <laughs> it's more of like, you know, there are several people from many different walks of life that want to do the same thing that, uh, that, that one archetype that you're focused on wants to do. And you got to make sure that you give enough, um, space for everyone to do their thing without fear of being, uh, looked at weird or like, you know, scoffed at or whatever the case mm -hmm. is. Um, you know, community is super, super important to us, but you know, it's something that we also try to like live behind, That's you know, right. like, That's right. um, so yeah, just like making sure that people make fitness approachable from all walks of life rather than just like the best athletes or yeah. like, you know, right. having just champion level lifters or champion level, whatever, yeah. just like making sure that people can come in and be better for themselves. Yeah. I, I've yeah. said this a lot. Like, I would take any day the person who comes in and they have minimal tra like their training age is like a month right mm -hmm. like over the person that comes in with fucking Metcons on oh, yeah. fucking stupid <laughs> yeah. CrossFit shorts and they're yeah. like ready to go right like I would take the the new person any day of the week 100%. like the person who can't who doesn't even understand what a squat is yeah like I would take that person as so long like, as they're see, willing to put in the work yeah right? that's right seeing those people go from like you know, baby giraffe squat to like now they're now they're in their own right like a monster and doing chin ups like that's, that's yeah right. it's fucking cool yeah, yeah. Right. and you did that yeah, yeah. You, know, right. like you can go home and be like listen like I I I, I had such an Guided impact them. on right. someone's life you know right. what I mean and yeah. like that's a it's a beautiful thing yeah mm -hmm. you know that's what I think gives us the most like joy um, I love it of yeah. being mm -hmm. a gym owner and a coach is seeing that whole transformation yes happen. yeah. Yes. No, hundred percent. Physically and mentally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Takes time, but right. You know, yeah. Take years sometimes. Some people. Right. If you're gonna open up your own gym, I would say be prepared to hustle and learn a shit ton about yourself. And that sounds sexy, <laughs> and it's not gonna be. It's yeah. gonna be ugly. And listen, everyone has problems. If you're working towards some kind of nirvana life that is free of problems, you're going to be disappointed. And so choose, think hard about what problems are worthwhile in your life to you and have the right people around you to hold you accountable to that and to push each other and, and root yourself in those values that keep you going because the day-to-day -day is going to be rough. So right. just have good people and values in your life. Yeah. yeah. And to build on that, like, you know, with, along with Kaylee, there's a couple of people who are like members at the gym who I use as like a litmus test. So like canary in the coal mine type of situation. Like, you know, we were having this conversation over lunch about how like, you just never know what people are really thinking until it's like too late. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that an important part of running a gym is, you know, having confidants that are within your community that you can go to and say like, Hey, like, how am I doing? 
you know, and you know, like how am I doing and like, what can I do to be better? Because sometimes like people talk amongst each other, but they're not going to talk to like me specifically because they're scared of like being ostracized or like being just treated like, Oh, like I'm perfect. There's nothing wrong with this gym or nothing wrong with me. So like, you know, having the advice from people who this means everything to them, you know, like, this is where their friends are. This is where uh, they go to de-stress. This is where they go to be better. Like, you know, those types of people, if you can get them to give you information about how you're doing without any fear of repercussion or anything like that, that's super valuable information because I learned a lot about myself and I learned a lot about my leadership uh, just by asking people that were stakeholders just to be like, listen, like, you know, how am I doing? And yeah. You learn a lot from that. Yeah. Yeah, that's priceless. You can't pay for that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's great but advice. It comes with relationships, right? Yeah, like it comes totally. with just investing with people and just making sure that, you know, they have your back just as much as you have their back. That's mm-hmm. right. You know. So my my last question will be the same as the last the last podcast. I thought it was good. Um, what what do you want to leave behind? Like what do you want to be remembered for? Hmm. I want to be remembered for changing powerlifting. Um, I have very big, grandiose uh, dreams of essentially being the best coach out there, um, being someone who uh, broke the mold, being someone who might have changed um, certain perspectives that a lot of people in that are in power and powerlifting right now um, kind of have. And, you know, being that person who listens to the people who have problems with either their coach, their federation, their, their gym, you know what I mean? And providing a source of support for them and, you know, hopefully motivating other coaches and motivating other people to be, you know, progressive in this sport, because there's a lot of people that are extremely not progressive, you know, and, um, you know, I surround myself with uh, my coaches, Nikhil and Matt, and these are two people that if, you know, if if I, you know, left tomorrow, these two people would be people that can go on and do even better than I did. You know, and like, I say this all the time, like, you know, Nikhil is much better at process than I am. So mm-hmm. like, he makes me better. Mm-hmm. Um, but Matt, he's such a young, talented coach that like if I didn't hire him as my coach, then he would be eating my lunch like a year from now, you know, and like, but I, I want to bring great people together and show them what I could possibly show them, if anything, and have them go out and, you know, sp- treat powerlifting like it's always supposed to been supposed to have been done. You know what I mean? Uh, I think a lot of pe- a lot of things are wrong in the coaching aspect of things and the uh, management aspect of things in powerlifting. And I think that um, I would, lo- I would love to be remembered as someone who uh, made the sport more popular, but also made the sport uh, more athlete focused and more coach centric. Nice. Good. Cool. Well, I think a lot What about of Kaylee? Fun. Oh, sorry. Jesus. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. I'm sorry. Well, that was just so that beautiful that I was like, that's that the that perfect way to end it. Yeah, I like that. But yeah, what sorry. Yeah. Kaylee? No, I appreciate it. Um, I want to be remembered as for, have, for having lived 
genuinely and happily and to have helped others do the same. I think so often we get stuck in what we feel that we need to do or what we've seen been done. And as an entrepreneur, like we, we've both seen that you can build something that you haven't seen exist before. Mm-hmm. And you need to do what is right for you. You need to find and like ask yourself some serious questions about what makes you genuinely happy. And you have to do it because we, we need more of that. And that's, that's not easy. It's not something that's handed to you. Um, it's not something that a lot of people have the ability to do. So if you can, you know, use that as an opportunity to also help others in the process and I would love to be remembered as um, our family and this community as as creating that. Thank you guys for doing that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate that. I mean, Appreciate part, that. part of why Chris and I, I mean, one of the cool things about doing this podcast is that we get to learn more about other people mm. and be inspired by other people and learn from other people and this like the past hour or however long we've been talking you both have taught me a lot especially from just like a relationship mm. um, point of view. <laughs> That's so real. and like taking time for yourself which chris and i don't mm. do um so thank you both for taking like this afternoon to talk with us and I think this has been really beneficial. So, oh my goodness, thank you. Thank, thank you, you guys. so much. Really appreciate thank it. You.